There's a version of spirituality crafted by capitalism, decorated in shiny crystals and perpetuated by Instagram influencers. And then there's a version of spirituality that our ancestors practiced that fostered deep rememberings and activations of the heart, earth, and stars. House of Enlightenedhood is a New Earth cooperative holding a frequency that rewilds spirituality and brings it back to what it was meant to be about all along. Our innate connection with the divine. Oh, and love. Lots of love. I'm Lena Lemos, your host and founder of House of Enlightenedhood. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as we explore the expansiveness and the messiness of reclaiming the human spiritual experience. I am so grateful that you're here. Hello, you beautiful souls, and happy Friday, happy new year, happy 2022. How is that a thing already? I don't know about you, but 2021 was a, wow, I don't have any words. So much of a roller coaster, so much growth, but man, that shit was hard. (laughs) But I am not one for the new year, new year, clean slate kind of rhetoric. Also for the fact that because we've changed calendars and with leap years and going from, is it Julian to Gregorian or whatever, do we really know what day it is? I don't think there's an automatic reset when the clock hits midnight. And also as an empath, I don't know if any other empaths out there feel this way, but I New Year's Eve is not my thing. There's too much energy and emotion. So if I'm in bed by 1030, it is a good New Year's Eve. I just can't. The the emotional release that happens being in a room when the clock hits midnight, I just, I can't. And I know that about myself and I love that about myself, but other people may not understand. But if you do, I got you. <laughs> I am so excited for to share today's conversation with you and to open this larger conversation of decolonizing spirituality within this platform. When we launched the revised House of Enlightenedhood with the cooperative in October of 2021, decolonizing spirituality and celebrating and implementing and honoring a spirituality that was decolonized and removed from capitalism and whitewashing and westernization is something that was very, very important to me. And it was truly instilled in the values and the intention of the new platform. And it is an ongoing conversation. It is an unlearning. It is a larger perspective of spirituality that I think is crucial for everyone on the spiritual path. Because I think when we awaken, there's kind of these chambers or even call it like we awaken into spirituality that's still controlled by big business and the patriarchy and capitalism. So when we awaken into this spiritual space, we are very much handed a version of spirituality that is very much driven by colonization, capitalism, the patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, we awaken into this paradigm that then we have to 
unlearn, broaden our perspective, our awareness, our compassion, and our understanding for these rituals to then be able to step back and say, wait a second, this isn't right. And that's where decolonizing spirituality comes in to bring these practices, these rituals, these teachings back to their proper lineages without the whitewashing, without the westernization, without the just cherry picking what we want from it to use in our own practice without understanding the larger context. So decolonizing spirituality is something that if you haven't begun to look into, I highly recommend because we don't realize how much of an echo chamber that we live in when it comes to spirituality. And I don't know about you, but spirituality is very much part of my whole life. So almost everything that I am consuming on a daily basis, minus, you know, the dog TikToks that I watch (laughs) is about spirituality, but we can forget when we're constantly consuming and it's just so effortless in our life is what we're reading, is what we're learning, is it true? Is it a very, you know, shallow version of the actual teachings? And three, does it give credit to where those teachings are from? So I am so excited to just open this conversation on this podcast about decolonizing spirituality with none other than the amazing Nina Purewall, who is back on the podcast. And if you haven't already, Nina shares her story in, I believe, season two. I'll put it in the show notes of uh, Nina's first appearance on the show. And then we also did a really fun Instagram live over the summer. Or was it spring? I'm not really sure anymore (laughs) Um, about how we can begin to step into a more mindful space. And Nina is the co-author of the international bestseller, Let That Shit Go. So she's always giving us the best tips and understandings for being more mindful, which is exactly what she is teaching us today. And I am sorry, my neighbor just turned on his snowblower, if you can hear it in the distance. But not only are we talking about decolonizing spirituality today, but Nina is also teaching us four Sanskrit words that you are probably saying wrong. She is teaching us the meaning of the word, their proper usage, and how we can be more intentional and compassionate when using these words in our spiritual conversations, in our spiritual teachings, and to be more mindful of exactly how sacred they are to the rituals and the teachings that they were. And I say this in the interview, but let's be honest, stolen from. (laughs) So just a little bit more about Nina before we get into today's interview. I would also like to preface that when you listen to the interview, you are not crazy. Those are my birds that are (laughs) chirping in the background. And funny anecdote, while I was editing the other night, I was really concerned because I was hearing my birds chirping and most specifically, you'll be hearing my cardinals because they have that very specific high-pitched sound that you really can't get out in, in audio editing. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, is everything okay? Because they don't chirp like this at night. And then I realized it was, it was in the, what I was listening to when I was editing. All right. That's how nerdy I really am. 
All right, now a little bit more about Nina. Nina faced an unexpected childhood tragedy, which inspired her mindfulness and meditation journey over 20 years ago. After climbing the corporate ladder for nearly a decade, she took a sabbatical and moved to California to unplug and live in an ashram for a year to further her learning of ancient wisdom and letting go. It has been her greatest passion to help others find happiness through adversity. With that, she founded Pure Minds, a social enterprise that conducts mindfulness and meditation workshops, and she is the co-author of the international bestseller, Let That Shit Go. Nina has also partnered with a kid's company about as a podcast host and kid's meditation mentor. So all of this with Nina, there are my birds again. (laughs) So this conversation about decolonizing spirituality and these four words that you're probably pronouncing and using wrong will be up right after this. House of Enlightenedhood is a heart-centered cooperative uniting in the frequency of love. We're building the new earth through community and supportive containers for spiritual exploration, healing, and expansion. House of Enlightenedhood's sacred online gathering space is one part mystery school and one part social community, open to anyone on the inner journey and co-created by a team of light leaders. We believe in a spirituality that returns to our roots. So whether you're just awakening or ready to pioneer a new paradigm of spirituality, we've been waiting for you. Learn more at houseofenlightenedhood.com. Hi, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on my show. It's so great to see you as always. Hi, Lena. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. Of course, I'm so excited to talk to you about all the things. And I know, you know, we've talked about this across months and you and I are both stepping into a similar space of this honoring of, you know, the sacredness of spirituality, but also the honoring of the human and the messiness and all the things that come with that. And I think we can both agree that there's this version of spirituality that we see on Instagram. And when we're first starting out, it can be really hard not to compare ourselves to that or to want to adopt the look or the words or the jargon. And the, you know, the true, the true growth and the true, you know, our own spiritual practice isn't as glamorous as, as it's meant, you know, made out to be online. So I am so excited for you to just bring us back to the sacred, you know, the sacred practices that we may be overlooking. We're going to learn something today, which I'm so excited for. But before we get into learning about these words, I thought we could talk a little bit more about, you know, what it means to to honor. And we were just talking about this before, like the relative reality of our human existence versus the spiritual reality that, like we were saying, can can be a little bit too much, you know, good vibes only. It's rainbows, it's unicorns, it's sparkly. And all you have to do is believe that there's a higher truth and that's it. But then it negates, you know the suffering and the chapters and the seasons of grief and hardship that we go through in our lives. Yes, exactly. And spirituality has saved me. I've gone through a lot of loss, a lot of trauma. And I have to say with all the therapy I've been through, it is the one thing my, my spiritual practice and meditation practice is the one thing that has grounded me all these years. It is so incredibly powerful and there is so much truth to 
spiritual practice, the way I studied it is at the end of the day, we are all one, you know, we're all connected by one single thread. There's just different names and forms, as they say, you know, I always use the example of clay, you know, you walk into a store of, of, you know, all these ceramics and you see a bowl and you see a little dog and you see a vase, but you know, the, the basis of them all is exactly the same. It's the clay. Mm. So it's going back to that oneness, you know, one love and we are all consciousness, existence, bliss is what they call it. They call it Satchit Ananda, which is consciousness, existence, bliss. And so I truly, you know, as you said, the spiritual truth that, you know, at the, at the crux of it is we are all made of happiness, of love, of bliss, of existence, of this truth. But at the same time, we're also human. Yeah. Right. So it's important to also acknowledge our own experiences to, you know, feel the anger when it comes up, to feel the sadness when it comes up, to go through the process of grieving. And for me, it's almost like I do live in this kind of dual space of honoring, you know, my human experience, but also acknowledging, you know, whether it be in meditation or when I'm connecting with nature, that you know, there's a connectedness amongst us all. And at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, realizing that. That's why they call it realization. That's a very good point. (laughs) I've realized I had, this is the third time it's happened in the past few months for me where my humanness has just, you know, felt the emotions, you know, gotten to that point of things happening in my human life where I break down. And I let the emotion rise through me. I let it happen. I feel it. I grieve it. And then it's almost like the universe instantly switches once that's released. And it's like, let, let me remind you how divine you actually are. And here's something to remind you now that you're, you're done humaning, here's something really magical. And it's happened three times in the last few months. I'm like, isn't that just a beautiful testament of that balance and that ebb and flow we go through between our humanity and our divinity and navigating it, even though it kind of feels like, you know, which one should I be doing now? How do, how do I human? How do I be this like spiritual, magical person? But it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, don't overthink it when you're do what feels natural, you know, and I love how you said, you know, you allow yourself to feel it and then you let it go. And then, you know, you have this overwhelming feeling or signs from the universe that you're okay, or you are connected, or, you know, you can sit in this bliss after going through all that. And, um, you know, I have co-authored this book, let that shit go, because I want everyone to go back to our true nature. You know, when you think of us as toddlers or as infants, we were inherently happy. Mm. You know, that is our true nature. That's why when we feel happiness and joy and bliss, we feel so good because we're going back home. You know, but what's happened in tweenhood and teenhood and adulthood is we've built up all this shit along the way with all these human experiences. And so the more we can acknowledge it, because you can't really let anything go until you look at it, work through it, acknowledge it, then you can let it go. So that part is so important to, to feel what you need to feel. And yeah, you'll, it's ebbs and flows, right? You'll have moments where you're having that human experience and that's okay. And there's moments where you're just sitting in complete 
bliss and appreciation for the universe and nature and existence. It's pretty, it's incredible. So let's use that as a transition into you teaching us, because I I think that when we get to adulthood or from my experiences and, and speaking to others and we're, you know, we're in adulthood, we're, we're starting to remember that, that, that that's our natural state joy. And, you know, we're stepping onto a spiritual path and we exist in this modern world with technology and we start to, you know, explore yoga or, you know, affirmations Mm -hmm. and meditation. And we start to see these terms being used in this way of living and existing. It can be very easy to get wrapped up into that unconsciously, like I said. And I think to take a step back and to really dive into the sacred practices that basically, you know, the West has stolen, let's be real, you know, and has put a price tag on, you know, how can we be more conscious? How can we understand where these terms are coming from? And how can we, you know, honor the culture, I think is something that should be a very important part at the beginning of our path that isn't necessarily talked about because again, they're stolen, (laughs) they're stolen rituals and words that are now, you know, part of a billion dollar industry. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And I so appreciate that. And I'm all for the decolonization of wellness, you know, Same. As they call it. Um, you know, I love that you are bringing this to surface and talking about it. And I think it's an important conversation to have because I do think there's so much richness that we're missing out on. You know, yeah. I've lived in an ashram for a year and I studied under many you know, swamis from India and, you know, around the world. And, you know, when I see what's out there now, it's just, it's, it's, it's grazing the surface of like so much depth. Yeah. You know, for one year we had four lectures a day and we went through many texts and I still feel like in that year we grazed the surface, you know, so there is just so much richness and so much depth that I think we're we're missing out on, and um, people are kind of capitalizing on just this part, okay. um, and, and some people not doing it well. Obviously, are honoring you know the roots. So I appreciate what you're doing. So before we get into to learning some words and how they're pronounced and the true meaning, and you know, diving in deeper, is there anything that you you wish that we knew about this culture that we are taking these words from? Oh wow, that's such a big question. I what I'd love to sit in is that spirituality might get some backlash for this, but spirituality is not religion. The truths that came from India came from rishis tens, like 10,000 years ago, and were messages that were delivered through nature. Like inherently, these rishis were able to receive these messages and and spew them out, and then they were turned into sacred texts. And that was before Hinduism was developed. Mm. So when we go back to some of these origins, it's it's really the connection to nature, the connection to the universe, the connection to all that exists versus deities and 
you know, and I think that there's, there's beauty in, in, in religion if used in the right way. Um, but a lot of people say that it's, it's a stepping stone to yeah. this greater truth. I think that's the thing that bothers me the most of kind of the labels that have been put on modern day spirituality where they call it new age or woo woo. And we're like, no, 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 this is very ancient sacred wisdom that we're just now, you know, re-embodying and re-accepting as a universal truth. And to label it as new age is just further disconnecting us from the fact, you know, that we are all one and we are part of this experience with the earth and with the universe. And so I love so much that you said that it came before Hinduism, because I think we just when you're not on the path or you're kind of just an outsider watching it, it's very, it's very easy to see it as like the capitalistic wellness industry business and not as, you know, a sacred human truth that has been, you know, passed down through the lineages for thousands of years. Exactly. Exactly. Beautifully put. So you're ready to get into it? Ready. Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm always ready to learn and to be have a higher perspective and understanding of everything. So yes. I definitely are, Lena. I love it. You're such an open, incredible soul. And you're actually helping me bring this to surface. Because to be honest, when I came back from the ashram in 2011, I, I, I was like, I can't talk about all this stuff that I learned. Like, what are people going to say? How are, how is this going to be received? And you know, you're one of the people that are encouraging me to bring all this forth. So thank well, you. I think it's time. I think it's yeah. time because we, again, we're, I think we're unconsciously consuming spirituality in a way that is not honoring that the sacredness of our humanity. Exactly. And when, when we're consuming, you know, capitalism thrives on the idea that we're separate and that we're worthy and we're just perpetuating that by not understanding the depths to it. Yeah. And there's ego in that, right. And that perpetuates, you know, everything that's happened to this beautiful earth. It perpetuates, you know, a lack of compassion. It perpetuates, um, uh, being competitive and, um, you know, it takes away from that oneness. Yeah. That greed. So Mm -hmm. it it is so powerful when we can sit in that one. It's even all the, you know, the fight for social justice and all that is, it's just, it's so sacred and it's so, important. And the more that we see how much we are connected versus different, you know, that's where true compassion and love comes in. I completely agree. And I think it changes the way that we understand, you know, how we're living our lives. Because I think when we can understand, you know, the depths to, to these spiritual practices and rituals, it changes our perspective from, you know, the businesses that we're buying from, because we can kind of see through the the facade of capitalism and it changes, you know, the, the coaches and mentors that we work with who are, you know, more conscious in the rituals and the words that they're using. And I think it, it changes the way that we're living intentionally. So I think anytime we can learn and understand on a deeper level is just, it radiates change to the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. All right. First word. First word is namaste. 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 Yeah. So not namaste, you know, or people say namaste, namaste, or all the namaste at home with my dog. That's (laughs) (laughs) exactly. It's just namaste. And 
the meaning of that is that it's, it's essentially I salute to you. And, you know, some people acknowledge that it also means that the divinity in me recognizes the divinity in you because really we are all one. And so when we're bowing to each other, there's humility in that. There's a humbleness in that of not having the ego, taking the ego out of it, taking, you know, separation out of it, taking duality out of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, seeing the oneness in each other because we're all in livings by the same thing. So when we use that term, should it always be with hands in the in the bow or can it be used separately? Are they all one practice? Traditionally in India, when people say namaste, they do use the hand gesture or they do like a slight nod like namaste. Um, it's it's a form of greeting. So the the hands just bring all that more respect to it. Um, it's the, you know, it can still be said without, without the hand gesture. Um, but I think where we need to be careful is, and again, the, the colonization of it is, you know, all these words that are driven from namaste that just take the sacred out of it and borderline disrespect, you know, the original Sanskrit. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I think that's the one I feel like that gets, you know, has been westernized and capitalized the most. Yeah. I mean, you can walk into any store and find shirts, you know, and signs and wall art and all these things yeah. that say it. Yes, definitely. And so I think if we really want to go back to honoring, you know, the origins, then truly understand what it means and, and use it in that context. Good to know. All right. Second word. Second word is guru. Guru. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Lena. Guru. <laughs> a lot of people say guru. Um, and you know, the 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 dissection of the word in Sanskrit, gu actually means darkness, and ru means light. Mm. So a guru is one who can take you from darkness or when they say darkness in Sanskrit, they really mean ignorance, meaning someone who isn't yet aware of this beautiful truth that we are. And then Ru means light or wisdom. So someone who takes you from ignorance to wisdom. And there's a lot of tradition around this, they call it the Guru Shisha Parampara, which is, you know, the Guru teaching the student and then that student becoming a Guru teaching, you know, and, and yeah. kind of having that lineage as you talked about earlier. Um, so in India, or sorry, I shouldn't say just in India, but in, in, the, in the culture, in the traditions, um, Gurus are so highly regarded and respected and revered. You know, I'll caveat that to say there has been spiritual leaders out there that have taken advantage of that. Um, so we need to be obviously careful who we engage with. But I mean, I have met some remarkable swamis who, you know, I just I wouldn't have this knowledge or I wouldn't be, you know, where I am today without their their wisdom. 
you know, so um, there's a lot of respect because these swamis or these gurus have done the work. They probably, you know, lived in ashrams for years. They've studied the Gita. They studied Upanishads, all these sacred texts. They know Sanskrit. Um, and so when you learn from a true guru, it's, uh, it's humbling. It's incredible, you know, the knowledge that they, that they have in the wisdom. Do you see this word or even the idea of a guru, guru, guru being taken advantage of in, you know, the colonization of spirituality? I think it is used a lot more lightly mm. than yeah. traditional, you know, culture or real spiritual seekers. Um, you know, I, I would say real spiritual seekers will say to have one guru and to just follow them for life, you know, to renounce, renounce and, and that's, that's kind of the tradition. And you, you know, some of the swamis I learned from, I mean, spent seven years just learning from one guru, you know, all these truths. And so when someone's like, oh, you're my guru. And, you know, it's like, they've taught them for two weeks or something. Right. Trivialized. Yeah. Yeah. There's two things that come to mind for me is the one is the phrase, which I'm very guilty of using is be your own guru. Yes. And then the second one is that we exist in a culture now, you know, with online business marketing of self-proclaimed gurus. Yes. Who, you know, they have taken the entrepreneurship classes and the online marketing classes and the spiritual entrepreneur space looks like a good place to live in. And I'm going to be, you know, your coach. And I think there's, there's these, all these steps in between that are very sacred that we're missing out on, which is, which is the learning and the humble learning and the, you know, the work. And I, and so thank you so much for sharing that because I think there is, you know, I I love that you said that it kind of takes away that deeper meaning and, and weight to the word. Yes. I, that said, um, you know, I'll address both things you said. The first one being, you know, be your own guru. I'm an advocate of that too, you know, because we know ourselves best Mm -hmm. and, you know, some people in, in the, in the lineage would, would. I'd get in trouble for saying this, you know? Um, But I really do feel like only we understand our own experiences. We understand our own traumas. We understand our own conditionings. We understand our own limitations, you know, and a guru can guide you. um, And that can be very, very incredible and sacred. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to put in the work. We have to acknowledge, you know, our challenges. And so I do think that phrase of being your own guru is also important, you know, getting the knowledge, but then how does that apply to you? Because a lot of the gurus I studied under were from India and grew up in India and didn't have the same conditionings and challenges that I grew up with. So I had to kind of take my experience and also understand what does this mean for me? How does this apply to me? Um, And the second part, you know, of, you know, the entrepreneurship, it's, it's so challenging because, you know, modern day colonialism have, you know, we've, we've created certificates, you know, yoga instructor, yes. 
mindfulness certificates, you know, and it's like, I have my own business. I've had it for, you know, I'm four and a half years in to teaching mindfulness and meditation to communities and companies. And I have not done one mindfulness certificate. Does that mean I'm not qualified? I spent a year in an ashram. I've learned this stuff since I was 16. I've been learning under Swami as I'm 40 now, you know, so this, you know, business and an in industry that we've created, it's like, who is to say who is certified here or there, you know? So, you know, it's, it's mind boggling sometimes on social because I'll find someone call themselves, you know, a Vedic expert. And it's like, if a Swami saw that, that it was a, you know, 21 year old woman who literally studied for six months, I mean, you're not a Vedic expert. You know what I mean? According to, you know, according to what? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we need to be really careful when we, you know, label ourselves and do this certification or do it's, and, or, or as a student, when we find people and they call themselves certain things, ask the questions. Yeah. What does this mean? Did you do a one month program? Did you, you know, how much, how long have you been embodying this how long have you been studying this you know we we need to be really careful with who we seek wisdom and teachings from my my spirit guides always stress to me that in our capitalistic society we've been conditioned to choose beauty over wisdom so if someone has you know really beautiful graphics and you know tons of instagram followers we've been conditioned to believe that that's credible information instead of you know someone who maybe is a Swami and has 10, you know, 10, a hundred Instagram followers, but has, you know, decades of wisdom. And I think it's the little back ass words, the way that, that we're going exactly. about it. Man, that prom- that Swami is probably not on Instagram. He's probably yep. not on Mercury. <laughs> you know, like, yes, that's such a good point. Like so much can be masked, right? With yes. our perceived beauty. And, you know, that can be mistaken for wisdom. I think it, and it's funny how we're starting to, you know, show the light on the filters on our own appearance, but we haven't gotten that far with, you know, the knowledge and the wisdom yet, but I feel like it's coming. It's coming. There's a moving it and shaking and a lot shifting in in this space. Yeah. I hope so. Okay. Next word. (laughs) Next word is mantra. Mantra. Good. That was great. That was awesome. I've been practicing. <laughs> yeah. I've even looking at my videos. When I <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was impressed with that one because that one has the R, the rule, mantra. Um, so it's become mantra, yep. you know. Mantra. Uh, mantra. Mantra. <laughs> and again, like we're not, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, shading anyone, but like, you know, learn the true the true pronunciation. And so the Sanskrit um, dissection of that is that man means mind in Sanskrit and tra is to transport. Mm. So powerful, right? So a mantra will, will transport your mind, you know, and a lot of people say, Oh, I'm living by this mantra. It's not, you know, in, in, in tradition, it's not, um, you know, a phrase to live by, or, you know, a little phrase to say your, to your, something to yourself. You know, some people are like, oh, let that shit go. It's such a great mantra. And it's of true mantra is um, 
often given to you, you know, by your guru or something that you feel a lot of affinity towards that brings a lot of peace. Maybe it does involve a God. Um, and, um, and a lot of, um, in this tradition, we do japa, which is, um, the repetition of a word. So a lot of, um, uh, practitioners have a, a rosary or what we call a mala with beads and all oh, you got one. Do you? Yes. There you go. Eight, right. 108. Yes, exactly. Woo-hoo. Lena knows her stuff. Yeah. There's usually 108 beads and the significance of 108. It's funny. I just watched a video on the significance of 108, but there's, um, there's a lot of, um, natural, I'm not going to say it's right, but natural geometry with 108, like the distance between the earth and the sun is 108 something. So there's a lot, a lot of nature involved in that number. And so, so traditionally you would take your mantra and you would take your beads and you would, there's a specific way that it sits on your hand and you would go through each bead in a meditation and say the mantra over and over and over and over and over again. And what it does is it brings a lot of calming to the mind and it allows you to transport your mind from, you know, a very chatty monkey mind to a very kind of peaceful, tranquil place. Right. So then they should really only be used in sacred meditation. I'd say that's how they're traditionally used. I mean, I love affirmations. I love when people say, you know, these are the words I live by. Like, is that traditionally a mantra? No, but I think all, you know, having a a phrase or a word to live by can be very empowering, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's probably not a mantra. A mantra is something that you would say to yourself over and over. I think a lot of people who practice transcendental meditation um, are given a mantra and that's what transcendental meditation is. They just repeat it over and over again. Yeah. To the point where they get transcended. That's good to know because I think that one's misused a lot. And I think yes. it's, it's such a, you know, a colloquialism now that we use in our, you know, exactly what you said, my mantra to live by and like a mantra for this or a mantra for that. And I think bringing it back to the sacred, I, I, I love the, you know, the definition of it because I think that really roots it in its purpose of transporting your mind. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's where the power is. Like if we can go back to the original nature of all these words and really understand them and really lean in like it's all the more empowerment to you you know to be using them correctly because there's so much in each little the Sanskrit language it's one of apparently it's one of the most difficult languages in the world I learned it when I was I like literally know like 0.001% but every day we had Sanskrit class at the ashram and wow the the brilliance of the language and how each word is just is so dissectable. Um, it's only, it will only help us to really understand, you know, the core and the truth of it. I think so too. Yeah. Last word. Last word that often gets misused. And again, I don't, this is not something I know a lot about, but it often gets misused and it makes energy healers cringe is, um, chakra. Yes. Okay. And so a lot of people say chakra, they do SH. It's chakra. Chakra. Yeah, chakra. And a chakra is actually very simply a, a wheel. And so we have 72,000 chakras in the body. Wow. But there's seven main ones. 
that you often see, you know, the rainbow color from bottom to top, the root chakra, the, um, the solar plexus all the way up to the crown chakra. Um, so the, this one's more of, again, and I just, I got into chakras, I want to say maybe three, four years ago. So I still don't know a lot about them, but I hear the term mispronounced all yeah. the time. Chakras. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we can just get that one right too. I think, you know, it's, again, it's going back to honoring the, the, origination of the word is that a word origination talking about words it is now it is now (laughs) the origin the origin thank you um of the word is is chakra yeah chakra yeah does that one have an a little r roll too with the little chakra yeah not as much as mantra um but a little little mini one i think chakra is one of the ones that I've seen, you know, mispronounced the the most. And it's one of those things that, you you know, you see it on the internet, you see people talking about it, it becomes part of your vocabulary. And it's one of those things that unless you are willing to dive deeper, it just becomes part, you know, of your spiritual jargon that might be slightly unconscious. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've gotten a lot of requests to do that real to do a reel on the word chakra, like, cause you know, like I said, people who are energy healers and do focus on this space, it just, you know, it's, it's just, it takes away every time you, and if you're an expert, if you're an energy healer yourself, or you're into crystals, you know, or you're into chakra healing, I mean, it only benefits you to learn the proper pronunciation because along the way you might lose credibility. Right. I think the other thing that goes without saying in all of this is the vibration of the word and how it's, you know, present in our life. And if you're saying it wrong, then you're not in vibration with the actual like essence of what you're speaking about. It's such a good point. I love that so much. There's so much energetically that is exchanged in language, you know, and every pronunciation, even when we would do Sanskrit chanting, you know, we had to do chanting every morning um, at six o'clock. No, six o'clock was meditation, seven o'clock chanting. And we had to chant every time we ate a meal. Wow. The emphasis, it wasn't just your pronunciation, but the emphasis of where you were, you know, uh, certain tones and, you know, certain accents. It was so important. And yes, that feeds into, you know, the energy of saying it correctly is, is that much more powerful, right? Yeah, because it's like the intention plus the vibration plus, you know, the the understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so thank you for sharing all of this because I think, the again, the more that we can learn and understand and be intentional with that, it's just like you said, it makes us that much more powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. It only helps our own journey. And and in unlocking all of this, right, we we increase our wisdom. We increase our knowledge. It's, and we can come from a much more authentic place when we teach, if we're really going back to the roots of everything. Yeah, I agree. And it's, you know, it's honoring the lineages and the wisdom and the, the humanity and going full circle, you know, the, the unity of us all to, I think, to, you know, not honor it is to say that we are separate or better or, you know, and I think that does a disservice to humanity as a whole as well. It absolutely. It absolutely 
does. And like I said, it, it goes back to just grazing the surface and not even getting it all right. Like don't believe everything you see on social media or online or from experts. Um, you know, it just, there's so much more depth. Um, and the more we can access that, the more we can help ourselves and the more we can help others on their journey. Do you have any recommendations if someone, if this sparks, this conversation sparks something within someone and they're like, oh shit, I've been using all of these wrong. I want to learn more. Do you have any recommendations for texts or things to watch that they can, you know, continue their knowledge on this? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the most sacred texts in the study of of Vedanta, which is what, you know, I study the spiritual truths. It's, it's, it's non-duality, which means we're all one. There's no duality. Um, our texts called Upanishads and Upanishads are, you know, there's, there's small ones. There's ones that have, you know, a few verses, there's ones that have hundreds of verses, but that is, you know, pre-religion core spirituality. And that goes back to the, what we were what we were talking about originally of the I am that at the end of the day, all of the knowledge culminates in I am that I am everything, nothing mm-hmm. at all. The I am that. So the Sanskrit translation, there's four of them, but I'll use the most common is that I am that. Um, and so the Upanishads, again, they're really sacred texts. They might be hard to find, but you can Google, you know, there's so much online about them. Um, but, you know, if you really want to dig into to the truths, then that's where you want to go. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure as always. And like my podcast, I am ending this show with wise words for anyone watching who just needs that extra encouragement to step into their best more intentional, conscious self today. So what are your wise words to end on? Wise words to end on is that it's not a destination. It's a journey. So keep learning, keep healing, keep growing, and trust that you're at exactly the right place in this very moment. Thank you so much for listening to House of Enlightenedhood. As always, I am so grateful for your support. If you enjoyed the show, please share it or leave a review or subscribe. A little bit goes a long way. You can find me, your host, Lena Lemos, over on Instagram at I am Lena Lemos or Enlightenedhood. But honestly, there is so much more going on within our spiritual cooperative platform than is happening on social media these days. Until next time, you beautiful souls.